Hello and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. My name is Andrew Rutten and I serve as a pastor at Providence Church here in Omaha. And I'm standing in for Gabe, who normally leads our time but is out of town this week. So we're moving on ahead without him. Now, if you've been listening this summer, we've been using this podcast to highlight some stories, mostly from people within our church, of ways that people are engaging our city or engaging culture or people groups that God has called them into. So we've heard from our team that preached the gospel in Thailand for a few weeks. We heard from a couple that has been led to serve people in the prison system and to the poor and marginalized in our city in greater ways. And we even got a chance last week to talk about the idea of nationalism and how the Bible speaks to our national and ethnic identities, which is a bit of a segue into our conversation today because this podcast, we transition into another hot topic by highlighting a couple in our church who serve a great deal here in Omaha with the immigrant and refugee population. Shane and Jenny Ellison are joining me today, and they have been part of our church for our church family for a while now and have graciously served us by writing a short article and now coming on the podcast to talk through their ministry. So Shane and Jenny, thanks for writing this, and thanks for coming in to talk. Yeah, Good thanks for having us. Now, I've loved getting to know you guys a little bit over the last year and hear more of just kind of your story and your hearts and what you're doing here in Omaha. Uh, and I especially loved in the article, you gave a little bit of background into how God brought you here from um, maybe when you were younger wanting to build <laughs> houses and be a cheetah farmer, you said, which I honestly don't even know what that is. I didn't know either. I just made you up just that wanted, occupation. I mean, it sounds amazing, yeah. but I'm glad that God has called you to what you're doing now, which is primarily serving immigrants and refugees in our city. And so uh, to start, can you just give us a little bit of insight into your family story? So where you're from, how'd you meet, uh, and then how God, got, or God brought you and your girls uh, to what you're doing here in Omaha today? Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and start and sure. then you interject. Um, so I'm from Colorado. I was born and raised in, in Colorado and uh, went to um, uh, Trinity College in Chicago for my undergraduate degree. That's where I met uh, Jenny. And um, we uh, married after finishing uh, college and then stayed in the Chicagoland area for a little bit and then went on to graduate school in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I went to law school. And Jenny went to uh, graduate school as well. And, uh, we were there for a few years and then came here to Omaha. Mm-hmm. You want to fill that in anywhere? <laughs> um, well, you came here for your job. Yes. So at the immigrant legal center, yeah, which was, uh, last year up until last year called justice for our neighbors, Nebraska. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. We didn't have any connections to Omaha prior yeah. to that. Wow. Um, so Jenny's family is in, in Iowa mm-hmm. and, uh, had been in Ohio. So kind of Midwest region, we were coming back to an area that was sort of close to home, but, um, no, going into law school, um, I knew that, um, that God's call for me at least involved um, serving the vulnerable and and helping uh, folks who needed legal assistance needs, whatever that might be. I had a real interest in um, international law, and so um, didn't exactly know what that sort of looked like, but but knew that that was something that I was very interested in. And so in the legal clinic in law school, it's uh, when I was sort of introduced to the the concept of immigration law, and I, I represented a young man who was from Chad. Um, he'd been tortured in his country because of his father's um, political activities. And so he was pursuing a protection, asylum protection in the United States. And uh, in the course of representing him in that clinical program in law school, um, I got to see his case through to the end. And, and we walked out of that courtroom uh, on the day that his case was granted. And it just sort of, you know, cemented in my mind 
this was wow. that sort of amorphous desire to to help, mm-hmm. right, and to serve, and it and it really became uh, very concrete on that day. Yeah. So that's awesome. And Jenny, were you in school too in New York? Yes, I went to school uh, for public health. Okay, with All an right. international focus. And how long were you guys in New York? I think it was around four to five years total. Okay. So as you're in New York, you're going through school. Um, what was it, what were you guys doing there that kind of led you then to take the job here in Omaha? So what was that kind of season like for you guys? I know you were just kind of mentioning a little bit. Yeah. And then how did you guys decide, okay, we need to move to Omaha for this job? Yeah. Well, that's kind of an amazing story in and of itself. Yeah. But um, I, my first job out of law school was with the Department of Homeland Security. And so I was adjudicating uh, claims for asylum. So the asylum uh, sort of protection claim where I represented that young man from Chad, I was in the, the position of an individual deciding those claims. And, um, you know, that was very fulfilling. Um, but, but being that I was deciding the claims, I wasn't really in a position where I could advocate for people, right? It wouldn't have been appropriate. And I felt very much like, um, it it just wasn't the right fit. And so Jenny and I started praying about it and, and searching, uh, for jobs, looking for opportunities. And, uh, so not quite two years into that job in New York, it was like maybe a year and a half, a year, nine months. Um, uh, we found out about this job here in Omaha and so, uh, applied for it after Charlotte was born. So it was a really like tense, emotional And you have two girls. Yes. We have Mm -hmm. two daughters Mm -hmm. and our, our eldest Charlotte was born in New York. And so it was right around this time that, you know, we're preparing to have our first born child that we're thinking about a big move. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she was born in December and, uh, I went through the interview process, got offered the job, took the job, and then started uh, in February, uh, February fourteenth, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is when is is when I officially started. So it was wow. it was a very intense time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were the reason why I say it was kind of a cool story is because there were a lot of things, um, sort of barriers to making this work. Um, we had just signed a lease, a new lease on that apartment. Um, my job commitment was I had understood it to be kind of like a solid sort of two year commitment. Um, uh, I was going to be taking an enormous pay cut going from a government, you know, federal government job to a nonprofit job in Omaha, not knowing how that was going to work out, not knowing how I was going to afford the expenses to move. And just one thing after another, uh, God removed barrier after barrier. Um, and there were really cool things like, um, uh, I was given a small stipend to be able to pay for the cost of moving and things. And when I like balanced it out to see what it actually cost, I think it was like, I don't know, a dollar 20 or something over or under. Oh, and it wow. was just like everything mm-hmm. matched up perfectly. And so you could yeah. see God's hand kind of guiding and then providing. And it was like, I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. And each one of those barriers was removed. Another one is our yeah. landlady. Oh, our landlady. <laughs> yeah. So our landlady was with this really, Oh Yeah. She was just a difficult person, okay. and uh, we had just signed this lease, right? And so she was rightfully entitled to say under law, like, you signed a lease. You want to break it, basically, just shortly after having signed it. Like, she could have demanded all of the money up front to be paid for that lease, right? Because I entered an agreement that yeah. I'd pay for an entire year. And um, we told her about, you know, our situation, that there was this other job. And I think the only pleasant conversation I ever had with her was oh. that one where she's like, yeah, no problem. That's fine. <laughs> well, and then I think Miss Nebraska, it was the first time she'd ever won. And I was watching the, the Miss America 
pageant just because I was like tired, you know, with a newborn baby and it was the only thing yep. on and I couldn't reach the remote to change the channel or whatever. While and we're praying and thinking about should we move to Nebraska? Right, we don't know anyone up. in Nebraska. Right. I didn't um, even know where Nebraska was. <laughs> yeah. So God has a sense of humor as well, right? Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And there were just these, so many other Random ways things. where it, it was just very, very clear. I, I remember telling someone, if I don't move to Nebraska, I might end up in the belly of a well. I mean, it just felt so clear that this is where we were supposed to go. And what have you guys loved most about Omaha or Nebraska since you've been here? I like the low cost of living coming from yes. New, York. New York City. Yes. 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 And just everyone's friendliness. Uh, we got used to people not interacting with you in grocery stores. Um, you know, when you go through toll booths, people wouldn't even acknowledge you. And so I actually, when I went to the grocery store for the first few times, I think people thought I was rude because they had like try to talk to, to me it. and I'd be like looking around like, who are you talking to? Do you know someone? <laughs> like, do you have a friend right next to you? Because you're, you're talking to me. <laughs> That's so fun. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so quickly to how'd you guys uh, land at Providence Church then? Yeah, so I think I think we originally started off at uh, City Light Midtown, and mm-hmm. and from there kind of learned about uh, Providence Church and and the plant, and so um, you know thought about it. it was a little bit closer in terms of where we were living, and decided to give it a try. So I think pretty early on, not not too long after Providence launched, I think is when we first started visiting, and mm-hmm. just felt like home. It was so a good fit. that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we love having you guys. Um, and so kind of getting into the, the article a little bit, you, uh, begin by talking about, you say God's heart for, for immigrants and refugees. I was wondering for, to start, could you just help explain the difference maybe quickly between immigrants and refugees as you have them both listed? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, from kind of a legal standpoint, um, immigrants are, are non-citizens who are, are present in the United States. Um, a lot of times they're broken down into what are called immigrants and non-immigrants. And the technical difference between those two things probably doesn't matter. But basically, immigrants is sort of a reference to non-citizens who are are in the United States, either with the intention to stay here for an extended period of time or for a short period of time, like students. Those would be immigrants as well. Refugees is going to be a smaller subset of that larger group of immigrants. So of the group of non-citizens who are in the United States, if they've been given refugee status, it means that they've been given some form of protection from the United States government and allowed to come in as such. So the the international legal definition of, of a refugee, which is the same as the U.S. definition, is somebody who's outside of their country, either because they've been persecuted in the past or they have a fear of future persecution on account of their race, their religion, their nationality, uh, what's called a particular social group or political opinion. So if a person's uh, been persecuted or fears persecution for one of those reasons and they meet that definition, they can be classified as a refugee and then come into the United States. And then sort of one last point on that is uh, uh, the asylum process is very, very similar. So anyone who meets the definition of a refugee who's already here can apply for asylum. But the legal definition of who is a refugee is the same as someone who's coming from the outside in or who's getting that classification uh, from within and what the And what is asylum exactly? So asylum is the same kind of concept. It's, it's going to be U.S. protection to a non-citizen who's here and meets that international definition of a refugee. So really, again, the only difference is kind of location. 
location, or I shouldn't say the only, the main difference is location. So if a person comes into the United States uh, with a visa or perhaps even unlawfully, but it's because they're fleeing some kind of persecution in their home country, they can apply for asylum. And if the government grants that uh, application for asylum, then they'll be classified as asylees, which is basically just a refugee who's here. Okay, that's helpful. Now, at the beginning, you mentioned, you say this, you say there's a strong and clear biblical mandate for Christians to love, welcome, and serve immigrants and refugees. Can you help explain that maybe a little bit biblically? Where do we see that, that there's a strong and clear mandate for Christians to love, welcome, and serve immigrants and refugees? Yeah. Well, we um, heard about uh, this this phrase, um, Quartet of the Vulnerable, uh, from our pastor, um, where we went to church, uh, it was Redeemer in New York City. And uh, the main pastor's name was Tim Keller, and he wrote a book called Generous Justice. And um, he references Zephaniah 7.10. And Zephaniah 10 states um, to not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. So those are the four groups that one, God does not want us to oppress, and then two, in other um, biblical passages, he wants us to proactively serve them. So in the New Testament, um, you can think of the the passage of Mark 12, uh, verse 30 through 31, where it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, there we can see that he means by neighbor those that are immediately around him, and then other passages he talks about people that you come into contact with in any shape or form. So distance right now doesn't really matter because it's so global and people are coming to us. So they are literally our neighbors. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important? So if there's a a call to love, you know, maybe all people, there's, you know, this idea that God has a, a heart for all people, when you mentioned the quartet of the vulnerable, why is it um, so close to God's heart, do you think, specifically to love the, the vulnerable, those who are either poor or marginalized or displaced from their home? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, you know, I think... Um, I think the reason why God takes a special interest in in the vulnerable is 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 because they are the ones who uh, need Him most and kind of understand how much they need Him. Um, it feels like a theme in in the Bible that God likes to use those without resources and without power and without even accomplishments, because by using them both those who are being used and those around them can kind of sort of see the hand of God working, you know? And I, I think, uh, I think back about the old Testament story where, you know, there's, um, I I believe it's Gideon who's, who's told right to go out and, uh, kind of attack this, this other army, but it's like God whittles the group down to this sort of impossibly small number, right? So that they know that if they prevail, it's not by their strength, but by his strength. And so I just, I, I see, that that God kind of takes um, yeah he takes this special regard for the vulnerable because I think while all of us need God the vulnerable tend to understand that more acutely yeah. than perhaps those with means yeah absolutely I mean that's just a it just we can talk about the the physical poor and, and those who are uh, vulnerable but what you're explaining there is such a good like spiritual sense for for all of us it is only those who really recognize their great need for God that 
that God works in, and, and they yeah. come to Him in faith. And so um, it would make sense then on a on a physical level of those who are displaced or poor or fatherless or or whatever um, that God would have a heart yeah. for for these people. Yeah. Um, help us get a little bit of a. Uh, maybe we can do this in, in two kind of sections. You, you talk a little bit about the kind of maybe worldwide type statistics of getting kind of a picture of the landscape of immigration and refugees. And I'd love to move secondly to, to Omaha specifically and kind of get a sense to help people think about what it's like here in Omaha right now. But um, maybe any, I don't know if you have any stats or, or anything just to kind of help us get a picture for what is kind of the the climate that we have right now in displaced people around the world. Yeah. So um, according to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, or the UNHCR, um, right now there are 68.5 million displaced people uh, globally, which is uh, more than the total uh, during World War II. So if you think about you know major crises and uh, that have produced enormous numbers of refugees, uh, not only in our memory, but in our parents' and grandparents' memories, uh, in World War II, we're looking at a time right now that's as bad or worse than that. And so this is really at an epidemic level uh, of the number of people who are displaced. So if you look at the number of, of displaced people at, at more than 68 million, and then you kind of narrow that down to refugees, so remember that um, uh, those are individuals who who meet that international definition, right? Persecution on account of one of those grounds. Um, that's 25.4 million. And then uh, again, meeting that definition, but seeking it through the asylum process is another 3.1 million. So we've got a lot of people globally who have been or will face persecution back in their home country and need protection. Wow. And then maybe quickly, what, what, is it, what does it look like here in Omaha? What's kind of the, the landscape that we have here? Yeah, so we have um, in Omaha a lot of a lot of refugees that are are processed um, through a couple of, of big refugee processing organizations here. The biggest in town is is Lutheran Family Service, actually the biggest in the state. Um, and there's also uh, two other uh, smaller groups: one in Lincoln, uh, a Catholic organization, and then one here in Omaha called the Refugee Empowerment Center. And so those three organizations are responsible with all the refugee resettlement that happens uh, in the state of Nebraska. And so in terms of an actual a number of refugees were settled here. I don't have that figure. Um, I do know that when we're looking at uh, immigrants, so kind of zooming out a little bit, not looking just at that subset of refugees, but immigrants at large, um, there are approximately 55,000 uh, immigrants in the state of Nebraska that have some kind of immigration-related need. Wow. Um, and so the so pretty, pretty sizable number. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. sizable wow. number. When you talk to people about... Um, immigration. I know that it's very easy to um, politicize the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, can you help explain to me why it's not simply a left-right, liberal-conservative type issue, but um, why should we maybe take a step out of that and and see this as something different than just a political agenda item. Yeah. I mean, I think as an initial matter, you know, many of the verses that Jenny was referencing before, as an initial matter, I approach the the issue from a from a perspective of faith and from a perspective of what the Bible says on it. And so I think regardless of political party, um, at least Christians, as Christians, you know, we're approaching it from that uh, perspective of compassion and from a perspective of welcoming folks who are vulnerable, who are really in that quartet of individuals that are repeatedly mentioned in the Old Testament as being folks that God 
God cares about. So, you know, I, I don't see it as a left or right issue. I see it as a biblical issue. Um, and, and that's why, um, you know, that's why I, I'm involved in this and sort of very passionately involved in this. But I think that, you know, taking a, taking a step back further, even, um, you know, speaking to, to people who don't necessarily, um, um, adhere to Christianity, you know, as a country, we're, we're a nation of immigrants and that's true regardless of political party. Um, we have a long tradition of, of, uh, welcoming the huddled masses, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Written, written right into the base of the statue of Liberty. And so this is a, this is an important national value as well. Uh, as well as it is a value as, as followers of Christ. Now, obviously, because we know it's kind of a polarizing issue, there are many people who are um, either resistant or skeptical or, or whatever to the idea of kind of swinging the gates open and letting whoever and as many people come in. As you guys have had conversations with people or um, talked about this, why, why do you think, uh, what's the main couple reasons why people are maybe so resistant or hesitant um, to for our nation to invite in immigrants or refugees? I think there's a general fear of the other or, you know, anyone that's different uh, to you, um, which, you know, as you get to know immigrants on a personal level, you th- those differences really kind of fade away. Um, so I think that can be a fear that's just general to humanity. Uh, but a lot of people are concerned about the security threats. Um, one, because we hear about them, you know, on the news and, and they're made into a bigger deal. And then two, because, you know, there are, you know, legitimate, um, processes that need to, you know, go on for someone to come into this country and security background checks, that sort of thing. But Shane can talk more about the, the actual, security threat if there is any. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question because, um, and I don't want to, I don't want to chalk up everyone who disagrees with me as, as sort of being uninformed. So I'm not saying that. Um, but I think when it comes to, at least if we just kind of narrow the conversation down to security threats related to refugees specifically, um, the data really doesn't support, uh, folks having a fear of refugees. Um, there was a, there's a group, it's, it's actually a right-leaning group called the Cato Institute, and they did a study looking at the number of uh, refugees that had been admitted since our country started admitting refugees in recent history, right, with that kind of classification. And they found, looking at that particular time, that one's odds of being killed by a refugee in a terrorist activity in any given year is 1 in 3.64 uh, billion Wow. So, so t- that's a huge number, right? So, to, like mm-hmm. to put that in perspective, your odds of getting struck by lightning in any, any given year is one in a million, right? So that means that you're three thousand four hundred ninety-three times more likely to be struck by lightning in a given year than you are to be killed by a refugee in a terrorist attack, right? So, so that stat, you know, it's a number, right? But it helps explain that, you know, while refugees may be painted as a security threat or someone who we need to fear, the data, at least, historically, doesn't support that classification. And so I think it, it does boil down to a lot of what Jenny said, a yeah. fear of the other. And I don't think fear is biblical at all. And when we are called to do something that the Lord you know, has, has called us to do, like love our neighbors, yes, there is some practical aspects, like you don't want to like heighten your risk, you know, necessarily, but sometimes we are called to undergo um, a challenging and sometimes risky situation in order to fulfill what God wants us to do. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I love that as you guys wrote, and as we're talking now that I love that you guys started with 
um, looking at this is God's heart, and this is what the Bible says. And so, you know, we obviously don't want to politicize this completely, but there are, you know, realities there. And, I, and let me, so let me, with that, I want to conclude and, and kind of finish up our conversation with just practically getting at, you know, this isn't just theories and ideas. This is, this, it's people, right? And we're people mm-hmm. with um, dealing with people. And so I want to get there, but, but let me ask one more question, because I know there's um, another argument, too, that even within the church, I know some people have said, you know, as a Christian, maybe the church should do one thing, but but that's not necessarily what, as a voting, you know, citizen of the United States that I have to vote for. So maybe as a Christian, if I can get on board with what you're saying about um, I need to love the immigrant and the vulnerable, that may not necessarily mean I need to vote that way or think that America then has to allow immigrants and refugees. So maybe quickly, what would you say to, to an argument like that? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, when I think about how how I approach uh, policies at, at a national level, um, I don't think it's it's very helpful to, to make the distinction between here's what I would do as an individual Christian and here's what I think we should do corporately, because I think that what I should do as an individual Christian can be amplified significantly if I'm advocating or pushing for policies that are in line with my values. And so in much the same way as uh, – uh, many Christians are uh, in favor of uh, pro-life policies because we see them as being, you know, rooted deeply within the scriptures and teachings of the Bible. Uh, Christians who are voting for pro-life uh, policies, I think that the same exact justification could be made for Christians who see that God has a heart for the vulnerable, uh, for the poor, for the immigrant, for the refugee, and votes for policies uh, that uh, are in favor of of those values that God says. Uh, should be um, our values. Yeah, that's great. Well, could we end by um, having you guys just share a couple stories? So you guys have now been here. You've been working um, with many immigrants and refugees. This has been um, both just, I think, like you guys have said, on your hearts as, as Christians and also part of your your job and your livelihood. But um, I'd love to hear maybe just a few stories of just what God has done in you or through you uh, as he's been showing you his heart for uh, immigrants and refugees? Um, well, we uh, live currently in South Omaha and um, wanted to live in the population that um, Shane was working with uh, for various reasons. Uh, and we decided to do a block party uh, one summer. I think it was when Maura was a year or so. And um, this is probably not legal, but I thought rather than you know mail each invitation we would either hand out the invitations or if they weren't there we slipped them you know in the slot um but we started we wanted to meet our neighbors yeah. so we we tried you know to knock um on several different nights and one night um i had taken i think one side of the street and shane had taken the other and i finished mine up and you had were taking longer you know <laughs> than i was and so you can tell the story of what happened while you were taking longer that that night. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So exactly. I was just going house to house, kind of pa- passing around the invitations. Um, hopefully it's not illegal. I don't know. As a lawyer, I should, <laughs> I should know that. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, we, I, I came to one, uh, particular, uh, door and, um, it, I don't, I don't recall there being a slot, any place to kind of put the piece of paper, if I remember correctly. And so I was knocking and, you know, I had been knocking on some houses prior to that. And if no one came and I couldn't find any place to put it, I just went on to the next one. But for some reason, I just kind of felt this, you know, 
clear but subtle urging should keep knocking, should keep knocking on this one. So I did. I, I kept I kept knocking. And um, uh, after I don't know how long, um, a young woman came to the door and um, she saw me and I sort of started going into my spiel. Right. I'd, I'd practiced it at that point. Like we're having a block party. We're new neighbors. We're at this house. And the young woman just started crying. Uh, she sat down on the steps and she just started crying. And I was sort of looking around thinking, Jenny, come here. Because <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do, right? Like I just, this is not what I was expecting at all. And so we started talking and uh, um, I began to learn that, you know, she was, she was going through a really tough time and she just opened up to me, this perfect stranger, about some of the difficulties that she was facing. And so um, I said, well, you know, you should come and meet my wife and my, my daughters. And so we invited her over to our house. And mm-hmm. I think it was the same evening that she came over, right? It was. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I can't remember if we eat dinner or what it was, but we kind of learned her story. Um, she had come here as a, as a refugee. Um, I, I won't say from what specific country, just to be sensitive, but um, she had come to the United States as a refugee and, and was really experiencing a lot of difficult things. She, um, she was a believer, but I think had a, had a real deep sense of doubt about her value and her worth because of, um, you know, some things that had been going on in her life. And so it was an opportunity to kind of reaffirm uh, to her, like, like, hey, you know, we're, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're our neighbor and, and you are deeply loved by Jesus. And it doesn't matter what has happened to you in the past. You know, he deeply cares about you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she sort of popped in and out of our life uh, over, mm-hmm. the, over the years. Um, and we would help out when she, she would call us up and ask, mm-hmm. you know, see if there was something that we could help out with. And we would try to help when we could. And so mm-hmm. um, we, were, we were delighted to be able to go to her uh, wedding this summer, which was really cool just to kind of mm-hmm. see... Um, um, God's working in her life and kind of a, just such an, an amazing transition that she's gone through. And she just seems like uh, happy, overjoyed, and in, in a much better place than, wow. than what she was on that day that I wouldn't stop knocking on her door. <laughs> That's awesome. Which, of course, we can't claim the credit no. for it. I, it, was, it was God. It was, yeah. you know, it was the work of the Holy Spirit for sure. Um, we, just, we just happened to be there, right? Uh, and, and, he, and he used us um, not because of our strength or resources or my eloquence in inviting her to a block party, but, but because that, that was what he wanted in that yeah. moment, you know? Amen. Yeah. How about another one? Any other story that you'd like to share? Uh, we, we have, um, well, she, we'd probably call her family now, but cause we've known her for over a year and have done a lot with her and her kids. She is a widow from a middle Eastern country and, um, she was widowed when she came here. She has three kids. And we were put in touch with her uh, by a nonprofit agency. Um, it was the Refugee Empowerment Center. Uh, and they had said she just really could use visitors. And so we went after church uh, one week. This was when we were going to the Midtown location. And it was really close to the Midtown location, actually. So we um, we kind of, in you know, with her broken English and hand gestures and stuff, invited ourselves in. And I think we may have mentioned the name of the person that had referred us to her. And we had brought just little gifts for the kids and our kids started playing with them. And we would go almost every Sunday after church. Uh, and her English got better and we used, uh, Google translate quite a bit. Um, and just kind of started to form a relationship with her based on, you know, things that she would need. So we'd go over there and help her with things or just visiting too. Like she always wants to serve us tea 
or whatever food she has on hand. We just get platters of food uh, put in front of us. And um, so, yeah, so she's, uh, she's called us sister. She's called me sister. She started calling Shane brother. Um, I asked her once when we needed to help her uh, start to learn to drive if she would be comfortable with Shane uh, taking her alone because usually in her culture she wouldn't want to you know, be with a man by himself. And, and she said, well, of course, he's my brother. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so I thought that was really, really sweet to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love just hearing through the stories and just getting to talk to you guys, you can just get a sense that this isn't – um, I don't know that it isn't really like a, a just a, a theory or a job or, or something to do, but that you actually do have a, a heart for these people because God has given that to you, and that He speaks yeah. to you and, and works through you. And you know, just getting to know you guys, you're a young family, you're educated, you you know could get a ton of different jobs or work for a thousand things of the world. Um, but it's great to see you know God kind of get a hold of your hearts and and have you really care for for people in our city. Um, Maybe to end, could you help if if somebody's listening and feels uh, either maybe overwhelmed or, or ill-equipped or not even knowing how to how do I begin um, serving in this way or getting involved with the vulnerable uh, in our city? What would you say? Uh, a couple things to to somebody listening to to help them maybe take a f- first couple steps. Yeah. Um, well, one one thought would be. You know the 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 family, the widow and, and children who um, Jenny mentioned. You know there are a lot of families that are like that, right? They've they've fled persecution. They're, they've come here as refugees, um, and they don't know anyone, and they don't have any connections. And even just things that we take for granted, like going to the grocery store, if you don't have a license and can't drive, you know how do you get there? If you can't read, how do you f- you know maneuver, figure out a bus schedule? Um, helping with your kid's homework when it's in a foreign language to you, right? These are the kinds of challenges that refugees face when they come to the United States. And I think um, just what a, what a beautiful picture we as the church would paint um, to get plugged in and get involved in their lives and 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 show them the love of Jesus in a, in a really practical and real way. And so, you know, I know Lutheran Family Services has, uh, I think they call it first friends. And so that's certainly something that people can get plugged into. People can definitely reach out to me um, and, and I'd be happy to help kind of facilitate getting folks plugged in if that's something that they're interested in. But, but, the, but what LFS does is really great because they help set up like initial apartments for refugees. Sometimes they'll even welcome them from the the airport, mm. uh, take them uh, back to their first apartment that they've helped furnish, and then really sort of befriend and, and help this new family that that doesn't know anyone else at the time. And I just I feel yeah. like that's um, that's a really terrific way to kind of yeah. introduce oneself to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't require any kind of specialized knowledge or, or skill set, right? It just requires being kind and and having yeah. a smile and and mm-hmm. being willing to help folks. So and even not even just long term relationships too like as a mom when we go to the playground there's a lot of times certain playgrounds that have more uh refugee or immigrant populations um than others you know so when you go to a playground like introducing yourself Mm -hmm. to a family there and making sure that they feel welcome um library story times i've met different you know families from other countries so uh you can try to strike up a long-term relationship but even in just the small daily occurrence you know interactions that you have with people making sure that they know that they're welcome here and maybe giving them your phone number you know so they can text you if they need something 
That's awesome. That's really practical. And, and like you said, that's an easy first couple steps to, to take. So thank you guys. And thanks for writing this and coming in and talking. Uh, if you're listening and you do have any other questions or you want to get involved, um, yeah, would you let us know at info at providenceomaha.org or you can comment on Facebook and we'll get you connected uh, or helped out. So thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you.